Hi, this is Savannah. And this is Brian from the Dorky Diva Show. And you're listening to Star Wars. The best place for below average Star Wars. Hello there, and welcome to the Star Wars Show, the best place for below-average Star Wars. I'm the Jolly Jedi Pete, and we're here with a very special episode. It is the year 2021. It is the 25th anniversary of Shadows of the Empire, which was a multimedia project in 1996, created by Lucasfilm to boost interest in the franchise ahead of the theatrical release of the original trilogy special editions coming in 1997. I myself didn't really experience Shadows of the Empire when it came out, and I haven't really experienced it much since either, apart from knowing who a couple of characters are and owning a couple of action figures throughout the past 20 years. So, this year, I've seen some awesome articles on JediNews.com all about the 25th anniversary of Shadows of the Empire, and I thought, I need to speak to these guys, I need to educate myself, find out what's so awesome about Shadows of the Empire, and why I'm educating myself, why not get this story out to all you listeners out there? So I've recruited two people. First, Steve from Jedi News. Steve, how are you doing? How you doing, Pete? I'm well, mate. I'm well, thank you. Thank you for inviting us. That's uh, it was very kind of you to do that, and I'm really excited about doing this with you this evening. No problem at all. Thank you very much for coming on. I can't wait to sort of deep dive into Shadows of the Empire and awesome. what the story's about and what it was like living that when it was coming out. Yeah, it was it was quite an epic time because obviously we've gone through the the dark times and what have you. And Timothy's arm popped up with a, an unbelievable novel in '91. So, yeah, the the juices were flowing and and shadows came out of the blue a bit. And oh, yeah, it blew us away. And we we thought we couldn't go without celebrating it on Jedi News. It was really important to myself and especially Mark and James because uh, of the experiences that we'd had through them personally. But I think we've got a bit to go before we start discussing that properly. And we are also joined by Mark from Jedi News. Mark, how are you? Hi, Pete. I'm good, thank you. Um, can't wait to talk about this because this had a massive impact on kind of not just my Star Wars experience, but my gaming experience as well. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. So, you know, it's quite strange in well, this year we're living in 2021, we've seen sort of the rise of the High Republic, the current Lucasfilm publishing initiative where it's sort of books, comics young reader books young reader comics and um, we're getting this sort of narrative tale told across many different forms of media um and it's actually all been done before with actually more different types of media with shadows of the empire 25 years ago um obviously shadows of the empire it was a novel we also got a video game we got a comic book series we got a soundtrack and we got action figures um so sort of quite a broad range of media and content and product for the star wars fan to to grab out there um i'll start with yourself uh steve sort of where were you when you first heard rumblings of this shadows of the empire coming out yeah well it was earlier that year uh basically it was the early 96 time uh it was the year i got married 
So we just bought a house together. So all of a sudden we could we could start buying things on credit and things like this and, and put it against the house and, and buy it really cheap. Um, basically, the, the starting of the Rummage Round was the, the Shadows of the Empire being released for the release of the N64, which is from Nintendo, which is the state-of-the-art 3D gaming system. And basically, it it got to just on just on around about release date, and I taught my good wife into accompanying me to Comet in Wolverhampton, uh, and to to help sign on the dotted line to actually say that we take out the the interest free loan uh, to purchase this N sixty four, and yeah, it was from there that sort of the book obviously was was on the market as well at the same time. So they both came together quite quickly and it was just absolutely mind blowing. Uh, say so it was just something that we'd had gone through such a, a dark period with star Wars for such a long time. And then we'd had the, the ray of light from Timothy Zahn, as I've already touched on. And then we went into this multimedia and all of a sudden there was just everything thrown at you. And we got the power of the force two figures that came out in 95. So it was building up and building up to the, to this without really fans knowing about it. Yeah, obviously, you know, we think if this was happening now, there would have been sort of a trailer release. There would have been a press release probably two years before. I'd say it was in production. Um, you know, social media, you know, we get sort of information 24-7 where, you know, you go back to the 90s where, you know, you don't have social media. Um, the internet's probably in its very early, early infancy where it's not in everyone's home. It's only in certain homes probably at that point. Um, so it's sort of almost strange to think that the first time you experience a product is when you see it on the shelf. Um, but that's probably how things were back then. Very much so. Yeah, I'd say it was a completely different experience then because obviously, you know, so I remember walking through the story. It's, it's, a, it's a story I tell on a regular basis about Tim Zahn's novel is I was walking through WH Smith. I didn't even know the novel was coming out. It was a day of release. I didn't even know it was coming out and I saw it on the shelf. So I thought, well, I'll pick it up. It was the right price range. It was just after payday. And I bought it and all of a sudden my love was rekindled. And with it, that through that period, because the internet was really, as you say, in its proper infancy, there was no real press releases. You know, so today we get all the razzle dazzle with everything and, and everything's just plastered everywhere and there's there's that many ways of communicating these things out to people. But back then it was very difficult. It was splash covers inside of uh, previously released novels and things like that, or when the paperback release would come out, there'd be a, like a slip page at the back saying it's coming soon, Shadows of the Empire sort of thing. And then obviously with the advent of the N64, that was where the real marketing tool came out because obviously that's where the big money was was seen because obviously the partnership with Nintendo. Yeah, and I know obviously the N64 came out that year and I think the, this title came out like five months into the N64's reign sort of as a as a major title to sort of get people buying the console, I believe. Yeah, the the other ones was things like Goldeneye. Uh, what was the other one, Mark? Come on. Uh, yeah. Zelda. Zelda, the Ocarina of Time. Uh, so there was some absolutely amazing games out at that time. Goldeneye is still probably one of the best video games I've ever played in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, it's it's iconic. You've got to be of a certain age and, and have gained at a certain level. Uh, I fell out of love completely with gaming in recent years. Uh, I have a PS4 that barely gets switched on, but I'm still so tempted to, to revisit and, and go to somewhere like CEX or a retro gaming shop and actually pick up an N64 just to play Shadows and, and Goldeneye all over again because that's the type of gaming that I enjoy. 
Mark, was that the same for you? Was it sort of, you know, you, you found the product on the shelf and that was your first introduction to Shadows of the Empire? Yeah, I mean, it's it's so weird talking about it now because back in the 90s, like you say, there wasn't the social media to build up a, a buzz. And it was, um, you know, back then, you if you wanted to play a demo of a game, you couldn't just download it off the internet with your dial-up connection because it would have probably taken you a week to get the um, demo. Um, but we had gamer magazines that came with uh, discs that had the demos contained on them. And it was on one of these where Shadows of the Empire, there was the demo level of the Battle of Hoth, um, which for the time was absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, most most games before that had either been kind of 2D platform games or kind of pre-described, you know, uh, predetermined journeys where you could kind of move left or right where this was far more open you had control of a snow speeder and it just boggled the mind um and obviously we we're at a time as well where we were so used to replaying levels again 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 and again and again and it just became so like wow look where we've come with technology um and that's how i found it Yeah, obviously, you know, it was a story-based game split into four parts, I believe. So I think the first level is, or first part of the story is sort of Dash Rendor being sort of drawn into the Battle of Hoth. Yeah. Um, what was your first thought sort of playing the beginning of the game and like, and how the graphics and the gameplay was so different from, from what was around at the time? Well, like I said, it was, it was just the fact that it was open. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, the closest I think we've probably got was Rebel Assault 2 before then, which, like I said, everything was kind of predetermined. You could kind of do certain actions with it where you're in, you know, one of the most iconic scenes of the original trilogy, um, being able to, you know, Im immerse yourself in the cockpit and do just about anything, which, although sounded brilliant, we, you know, the amount of times I'm sure most of us, um, you know, we're going around these attacks trying to get our, our harpoon guns um, working was and losing um, the ability to do it correctly was shocking. But it was just such a difference from anything that had come before because, like I said, it was it was so predetermined where you could go, and this was something vastly different. The graphics, which I'm sure if I looked now, would probably look far more pixelated, but looked very close to the film. Um, compared to anything we'd, we'd played before. And it just, you know, everybody, it blew everybody's mind. Um, and I suppose that's the biggest difference as well, where we have so much choice now. You know, there's, you know, however many games, books, comics released, you know, monthly, you know, sometimes even weekly. Back then, you know, you'd get a really good game release once, maybe twice a year. And so it was something that was really talked about by, you know, everybody when you went into school, um, and you know, I mean, I was ten when it came out, so it's you know the playground demo that everybody was playing. Going, have you played this? Have you know, have you been able to get all the attacks down and everything? It just sparked a real, a real buzz that you don't really get now because there's too much choice. Yeah. How much did sort of so Shadows of the Empire, the video game, it takes place in between. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, obviously, the first part of the game takes place actually during Empire Strikes Back. Um, did you know that going into the game, or was that something you found out sort of as you were playing it? Well, like Steve says, there was you, there was not a lot of 
buzz really about what on earth this was. So all we had was the demo and that was about it. Like nobody really knew what it was about. Um, obviously at that age, I suppose my inquisitive mind wasn't probably what it is now. And so it was literally just, this is a really, really cool level. Shadows of the Empire haven't got a clue what it's about, but it sounds cool. And that was pretty much it until I walked into um, Nostalgia Comics in Birmingham and I actually saw there was a comic with the same name and thought, well, that looks interesting. And not really joining the dots because the, the full game hadn't actually come out at that point. And so it was, it was kind of, you know, you unraveled it piece by piece. And then I ended up going into um, what John Menzies at the time um, and finding the book and slowly these pieces came together. I mean, you mentioned the High Republic, which, you know, incredible series, but now I know, and I think, you know, most of us do, you know, what are the next books in the series, how they're all connected and everything. But back then, with the internet in such infancy and not really knowing where to go as a 10-year-old, it was just, you just got these bits when you saw them. I also think that LucasArts at the time were really punching their weight in the, uh, how can you put it, in the gaming arena because they'd already got things out like Dark Empire. Uh, they'd already got things out, uh, oh, you just mentioned it, Rebel Assault and things like that. So LucasArts were already punching at a good weight at that time. They'd also got things out like Grim Fandango and oh, there was a game that I was talking to John Knowles about not so long back and I can't remember the name of it now. It's Full Throttle. And these were games that were coming out about that time, but Shadows was the next step. It was actually going to take you, instead of being a, a, a game where you were sort of like on the edge of the experience, it was actually going to take you inside the galaxy. It was actually going to put you as a, a third person within the galaxy. And I think that was the game changer. You were actually in the cockpit of the Outrider. You were actually in the cockpit of that Snowspeeder. Yeah. And I think that was also what grasped people as well, was that advancement in technology, what the N64 gave us, and the PC, because obviously what you can remember is the home PC market was very, very limited at the time. You were lucky if you had somebody with a home PC. Yeah. Uh, you know, gaming PCs and that are, are everybody's rage. You know, my godson, uh, he's got a huge gaming PC under his desk at home with a like a 28 inch monitor and all this sort of thing. He's heavily into his gaming. He plays Fortnite all the time and what have you, but that sort of gaming wasn't existing. You had to use a, a, a business laptop. So to be fair, I got a copy of shadows of the empire. Uh, the business that I was working for at the time has now gone bump. So it's not a problem to tell you, but <laughs> I've actually got a copy on my lap works laptop to play at home of a night time because I hadn't got a laptop of my own. If I couldn't get to my N64, That, that's fantastic. Um, it's crazy how, like, you know, if, if the game came out now, it would probably be available on on mobile and, you know, on handheld. Yeah. yeah. It was like, no, like, it, it's, it's on the PC, on a laptop, or, or on on console, and that's it. Um, so, yeah, so splitting the, the game split into four levels. So, obviously, the first level is Dash Rendor, drawn at the Battle of Hoth. Um, second one is uh, Dash Conference. IG-88, the bounty hunter, who leads into Boba Fett. Um, obviously, we are hunting for Han Solo here, which it's crazy how, you know, 25 years ago, we're doing the story sort of how to save Han Solo from Jabba the Hood. Um, and then right now, we've got a Marvel comic series telling the exact same story. Well, not, not the exact same story, but 
it's the exact same plot line type of thing. Like, how do we get Han Solo in this war? The bounty hunters that's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's something I've spoken to Ethan Sachs about uh, and Paolo Vianelli. Uh, cause we've interviewed both of them with Jedi News recently, and yeah, we we said like you know sort of the parallels with Shadows, but you know surprisingly, some like Ethan wasn't a fan of Shadows. Uh, it didn't fall into his remit because of where he was in life. But somebody like Denton Tipton, who's you know sort of famous for for working on IDW and has now gone independent uh, with Magma Comics, he's a huge fan and really has been affected by it, and Nick Brokenshire as well. So you can see there's people in the industry who are working on this type of thing who have got time and, and energy invested in Shadows, and that was one of the reasons why we wanted to celebrate it, because we actually realised how iconic it was at the time. The level after sort of the IG-88 who leads it Boba Fett is um, Dash Render ends up saving Luke Skywalker's life by fighting a gang of swoop bikers in Mos Eisley on Tatooine. Um, and then also helps Luke recover plans for the second Death Star. Um, so again, not only tying into sort of that Han Solo storyline which we're getting now, but then this level here ties directly into sort of into Return of the Jedi. Do you yeah. remember that being quite a sort of a wow moment when you when that happened? Yeah, I mean there's quite a few in Shadows. I mean obviously the, the biggest I mean, within the game, that was that was huge going, actually, Luke, particularly at the point where he is. I mean, if you think, when we see him at Empire, obviously, we have the big reveal, and you think, oh my gosh, he's got all that to deal with. And then within the six months between that and Jedi, you know, he's this Jedi who, you know, is incredible, his powers have really come along. And yet it was shocking to realise that actually he needs somebody to protect him, he's not as all-powerful as he seems to be in Return of the Jedi. Um, And the fact that you're playing the character who's going around saving Luke Skywalker was just kind of, wow. Because, I mean, obviously at that time, you know, there was no prequels. It was literally, you know, Luke was was the hero. And so to be able to go, yeah, I'm saving Luke Skywalker was just really cool. Um, And then obviously after having the Snowspeeder, battle which was so iconic the the next level after that's actually um going through an asteroid field very much in the same vein as empire strikes back and then to be on the swoop bikes has got the element of return of the the jedi but obviously set on tatooine which again another iconic location and it just all the levels had something that really harkened back to the movies sort of something a little bit new but also some you know something so familiar of what we really wanted in a game done in an interesting new way. And then the revelations that came through the game, like you say, you know, you're the one saving Luke Skywalker, your contribution to, you know, what's going to happen in the film. It, it Everything just came together really, really well. Yeah. I also Did think it? that, sorry. I also I'm think sorry, that when, uh, it's okay. I uh, also think that when you look at the storyline as well, especially when you look at the book, because the book obviously is a different story, yeah. although set in the same timeline, that that you see parts in the game. You know, so Luke is part of the part of the uh, the task force of the Bothans that actually gets the codes or gets the plans for the Death Star, but that all goes wrong, and he never knows that what he's helped retrieve are the plans to the Death Star. And that is the process of when the, all the Bothans get killed as well. So you're playing a prominent part with Luke Skywalker to make him who, as part of a major event of what's coming, to, what's going to come, 
Uh, but also as well, he doesn't actually realise what he's actually done as well. So although it touches on it in the game and actually heavily touches on it on the book, it's quite a poignant part as well, that is. Did it change how you... So after playing this game and reading the book and seeing how it interacts with Return of the Jedi, then re-watching Return of the Jedi, did it did it change how you watched that movie, perhaps? Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, I think the relationship between... Uh, Lando, Leia, uh, Luke, because you know, so Lando's still not trusted throughout the book. He's, you know, he's still a bit on the outside of the group because he's deemed to have betrayed them. Uh, so I think that that's quite a heavy influence. Uh, Boba Fett comes out of it still as the badass, uh, as he as he still does, and you know, and still rightly does as well. Because I still think, for me, he's my favourite bounty hunter. And, you know, so I'm willing to fight anybody in the street over that one because you're never going to change my mind. Uh, but you know, so you you also see a, a more vulnerable side to Vader because obviously he's having his buttons pressed by Shizor, so he's being challenged by him, and you start to see the the rift in between that he's trying to put in between him and the Emperor. So you know, there's there are there is so much there that yeah, it can influence the way you look you look at Return of the Jedi for definite. I think it. I think it will. I think what we're getting now within War of the Bounty Hunters, I think that will have a similar, very, very similar impact to what we've seen through Shadows. Uh, I think the, the guys have done a brilliant job so far bringing it all together uh, at Marvel. Uh, but I also think that you know, so again, Shadows is still worthy of it. Of, uh, of it, although it's not deemed as canon anymore as a legend, it, it's worth anybody's money still. Yeah, and I mean, you look at it as well, um, Sheezel as just the whole fact that when you originally watch the films, it's, you know, it's the Emperor and Vader doing their thing, and then suddenly there's this whole other character, you know, the fact that the Empire is aligned with, you know, Black Sun through Sheezel, and that there's this whole third party that's actually vying for Vader's um, attention from the Emperor, which... When you say it now and what we know about how the Emperor operates and how the Sith operate, seems like the most obvious thing in the world. But obviously back then it was literally the Emperor and Vader to us. And so to bring in this third character was like mind-blowing and really showing kind of the, the machinations of how the Emperor works, of playing people off each other and all those sort of things. So when you see you know, Jedi, even Empire, and knowing that actually there is someone, you know, here trying to influence or what Vader's had to go through to try and get to the point where he is. And it kind of makes sense of why he wants Luke with him, not just because he's his son, but because he needs someone he can trust where he's always fighting against, you know, Shizor or the Emperor throwing other things at him that you just never comprehended when watching the films in the first place. Yeah, obviously that's like, you know, in, in the game you sort of got two main storylines going on. You've got sort of Dash Rendor's adventure to sort of help help the rebel heroes. And then you've got sort of Vader battling to sort of keep his place by the side of, of the Emperor. Um, when obviously experiencing this story for the first time, did it humanise Vader even more for you? Definitely. Yeah, I, I can agree with that t- totally. It it put a vulnerability to him. We'd never you'd never seen that on screen or or really in the books because obviously the books were that are now cast as legends and what have you didn't really fill the gaps in between the films. They were all set after Jedi, 
So what you got was you got all of a sudden you got these bits being filled in. So the, the, they, they spoke of Vader. You might have had a force ghost of Vader or something along those lines, but you wouldn't have actually known about Vader himself. Obviously, you know, the prequels were yet to happen. So we got we got no idea what Anakin Skywalker really was. So obviously you got you got something that was actually going to look at taking uh, pushing his his buttons and and looking at how he worked a bit. And obviously the the challenge of Shizor and you know sort of his his lust to find his son uh, and to bring his son to his side and all these sort of things after he's learned about about Luke for the first time. Obviously he's, he's still oblivious to, to to Leia being his daughter. Uh, so yeah, I I think it actually I think it actually put a really good side to Vader that we've not seen previously. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And it's like you say, I mean, up to that point, nothing had touched. I think apart from I think Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which was obviously written in seventy eight, um, none of the books were allowed to go between episode four and episode six. Um, you know, I remember the buzz when I think it was I want to say off the top of my head it was Timothy Zahn's Allegiance, which broke the gap between A New Hope um, and Empire. But to have something fill that in, you know, we see, you know, these days there's a book released all the, you know, there's books released all the time that fill in all these different gaps. But back then, you know, even without Shadows being the massive project it was, each book release was huge because you literally you got one maybe two a year if you were really lucky you know you had book covers designed by drew struzan you know which obviously shadows has but you know these books were designed by someone who'd done or and still does you know you know worldwide you know movie posters um and they were really something to celebrate so to have something that focused on vader and vader while he's going through this was absolutely huge and to see into his mind um you know, even looking at the um, soundtrack where, you know, you have Vader's theme that he's done um, at a slower tempo to show kind of this thought process that he's having to go through of what the Emperor's putting him through of revealing, you know, who he, who he is to his son. It, you know, all the whole experience just added to this, this question of, you know, who is Vader and you've got some answers and, you then got even more questions of, you know, how how deep is this? How how strong is his loyalty to the emperor? And you know, it was just it was shocking at the time, in, you know, in a very good way. Yeah, it sounds to me. Obviously, I've not experienced the story, but but like this content here with Vader probably adds even more sort of clout to his redemption that he is going through this before Return of the Jedi. Yeah. yeah so- yeah. yeah, I'd definitely say that as well, uh, because obviously <clears throat> I still think that now, even with the current ending that we have to uh, the, the whole the whole Skywalker saga, uh, I still think that Shadows, in as it stands with a few minor edits, could actually still stand in current canon. Yes, I agree with that. Because of the way it flows, and it, it is very much, uh, this is going to be a bad phrase that I don't like using, but it is Star Wars. And I don't mean to say that episodes 7, 8, and 9 aren't, but even with the finale that we have, that I know a lot of people conjecture out there over it, and I'm not 100% fan of it, but I'm not against it as, as a lot of people are. I do think that Shadows, in its, in its context, could still stand in the storyline and never need to be touched. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing that gets uh, that I can think of off the top of my head that gets contradicted at all. And I suppose there's always been a part of me that was really hoping Shadows would be made current canon because it because of the influence it had on so many of us, you know, at that particular time. If they were to redo, say they were going to tweak the story and bring it into canon, but they're only going to do it in one medium, what would you rather have? A, a book, a novel, or, or a video game? Ooh, that's, that's, ooh, that's a toughie. <laughs> Sorry, I love a tough one. <laughs> uh, I loved every single part of it, so to pick one way of redoing it, I've got to be honest, I think it would be the, the video game. Now, the reason I say that is because of the tech now of what they could produce. But what I'd want is I want a game along the very, very similar lines. This was part of what we discussed with John Knowles when, when he kindly uh, agreed to be interviewed for the series. Uh, and John said he, he wouldn't necessarily want to revisit on a different console, really. Because obviously, you know, so whether you'd spoil what's gone before, but I think if the, if they could update Shadows, it's been mooted before that it might actually happen. But I can categorically say that I I, I don't believe it ever will. Uh, but if I think I, I think a revisit of the video game, I think would be the the way I'd like to see it go forward if if that would ever happen. Although that is really hypothetical. See, I don't know. You know, I think for me it would be the book because the how computer gaming has changed i mean like i said you know you don't get demo discs anymore everyone's playing such a variety there's not it's very rare there is a buzz about a single game from everybody i don't know whether you'd get that same feeling that we had back when the first game was kind of coming out on those demo discs and then it finally got released and everyone was playing it i don't think you'd get that so i i have to, i think for me it would be the book Awesome. So, obviously, new characters introduced um, across the Shadows of the Empire story, and that is Dash Rendar um, and his. Uh, is it a Carillion Freighter, the Outrider? Yeah, the YT twenty four hundred. Yeah. So you could say that that ship is very much similar to the Millennium Falcon, um, and I have seen sort of online discourse about how similar Dash Rendar is to Han Solo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's uh, that's an old adage. Uh, yeah, he was meant to be the. A lot of people didn't like shadows. Uh, on the, you know, I wouldn't say well a lot. There was there were some people out there who didn't like it, and it was because obviously Han Solo was off limits. Han Solo was encased in carbonite, so Steve Perry and John Knowles and John Wagner had got nowhere to take Han Solo apart from A to B. He'd got to go from Cloud City to Tatooine. That was his journey. That's all he could all could happen to him. But they wanted a, a, a cavalier smuggler type character to, to play off against the the crew that we knew. So obviously Lando, Luke, Chewie, the droids, and Leia. So obviously there was that, and that really worked really well for some people. But other people thought he was a cheap Han Solo knockoff because he got a Corellian freighter. For me, he was very similar to uh, a Han Solo. But he'd also gone back to the Han Solo from the Brian Daly books, where Brian, da- Brian Daly had actually written in uh, two characters. I can't remember the first ones, and I am not swearing when I say this, but the second droid that was with Han Solo was called Bollocks. The other one was Blue. 
blue. I couldn't remember. I just, there was two droids. I knew that I couldn't remember the other one off the top of my head. And it's B O W L U X, not as in, <laughs> yeah, not as in the other way. Uh, and basically, the, the reliance on droids, and you got Lebo. So, in, so in a way, you'd you'd actually got a, a you had got a reboot of Han Solo, but it harked back to the the, the early or late seventies, early eighties version by Brian Daly, where he was reliant on a, a, a robot, but no Chewbacca type co-rider so when you look at when you've got l3 in solo next to lando calrissian you've got your dynamic there which possibly had may have had an influence on on the writing of solo yeah i mean obviously lebo was actually voiced by tom kane who obviously would go on to do um a fair bit in star wars animation um, but it always surprised me with Dash Rendell because you can see the uh, similarities with Han Solo, and yet they're just from some people wasn't the love for his, uh, love for him. I mean, a few I'll probably say ten years after a book called Shadow Games came out, which was set before um, Shadows of the Empire, which had Dash as one of the main characters working as like a bodyguard, and. I loved it because it was going back to revisit that character and yet it wasn't very well received, mainly because people were just like, no, this is just another, you know, we don't want a Han Solo knockoff, we want a Han Solo. Um, and I kind of think, you know what, as obviously Han Solo is unique, but there should be the type of him, like Steve says, back and how he was in A New Hope. There should be, you know, lots of... Uh, people like him in the galaxy, but it's actually Han was unique because he turned it around. You know, he saw the good in the rebellion and and fighting, you know, for the right cause. Yeah, he's, he's the scoundrel with the heart, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So the last part of the game after you save Luke Skywalker um, and recover the plans for the second Death Star is uh, we end up on Coruscant. Um, so this is before the prequels. Um, and Dash, Luke, and Lando Calrissian travel the course on to rescue Princess Leia. Um, how was that sort of experience in the the capital? And, and sort of did was that common knowledge that Coruscant was the capital of the Republic and capital of the Empire? Yeah, it was. It was preferably known as Imperial City at the mm-hmm. time, uh, so it wasn't actually known as Coruscant at any real time. It was, it was always referred to as Imperial City. I think it was uh, being named, hadn't it, by yeah, but nobody was really using it as a right. given name. Yeah, and and sort of like to actually get a a description in the book of of what you were going to experience because of obviously the sky hooks. So it wasn't just like the the landscape; it was the skyscape as well, uh, and that went in depth. But obviously, then you started to understand that because you having to to use fly through it etc etc through the end of the game and you got the 3d perspective of it all and then obviously you, you got the sewers and all those sort of things and it, yeah so it, it was fascinating to actually see the emperor's home planet because that's how it was we didn't know about naboo we didn't know about his, his lineage from from naboo at the time so obviously we you know so we always thought that the, the emperor came from coruscant we hadn't got any any background on him and you know it was very good to hear about the all the underworld and things like that. And this is before Star Wars thirteen thirteen was rumoured, and we we knew all about that. And 
you know, so obviously Attack of the Clones and and Phantom, oh, the Attack of the Clones actually wasn't it that, that actually took us yeah. under those levels for the first time, and we obviously we've seen subsequently go through through that with uh, with the Clone Wars quite heavily. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a real eye opener to to what was what was there and what was it what was in Imperial City or Imperial Center. Sorry. Out of the four levels, which level was each of yours favourite to play? I know what his answer is. It's got to be the snow. It's got to be the attack for you, Mark. It's going to be. I know it. I know it. Before you even said it. Well, I mean, it, I mean, you got to remember. I mean, it was that popular a level that it then subsequently appeared on another incredible game for the N64, which was Rogue Squadron. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, complete. You know, nothing really different about it whatsoever. They just put it on the game, and it was like. You know, you think these days people will kick up a right fuss about a level just being copied <laughs> over to another game, and yet none of us have complained at all. I think that level is so so monumental for you know the gaming industry at that point. I think it's got to be it's got to be that one followed very very closely by the swoop bike level. Yeah, I think I think for me, I think going not actually, I think the formative levels for me were were, were the best for me. I think going through the base at Hoff, so when you've actually got the, the, the floors all cracking and you're, it's under attack, before you actually get out onto the, into the, the snow speed and onto the attack, I think I think that really captured my imagination because although you're running, there's a there's a big burly bloke with a, a bit of like Judge Dredd type armor across his shoulders, running around in a, a sleeveless shirt with with quite big muscles. Uh, it does seem a bit ludicrous where where Han is is done up with a big Parker coat sort of type thing. Uh, when he's when he's in there and scarves and everything, so he does make a decry of that. Uh, but I, I just felt that that level took you inside the base and just immersed you straight away in it. And I, I think for me that that's what switched me onto it. And I, I think that that's probably where my pref not preference, but my heart would lie. It's just that opening uh, few sub levels as such. And what was each of his favourite piece of storytelling from the game? Oh, gosh. That's a tricky one. So for me, I think that's where the swoop bikes would come in. I loved being... I, I love Tatooine as kind of like the idea about it, about people trying to carve out their life, you know, desperately trying to get moisture and everything, and to have Luke there and... To be the biggest thing, I think, was you had obviously we saw the speeder bikes in Return of the Jedi, but to have these swoop bikes, which looked insanely cool, that you got to go around with, um, which kind of coincides with the toy releases because um, I had the micro machine swoop bikes, and looking at these things, going these look amazing, and to be actually actually go at those speeds in the game and just realise that it just. It just added a whole more, a, a lot more depth in terms of like the technology of the galaxy that you've got. You know, the empires using the you know high tech speeder bikes, and then everyone else has got these kind of kit bash things that kind of go along, but you know, aren't quite as efficient as they should be. And the fact you're having to save Luke as well at the same time for the game that would be that would be the pinnacle for me. Yeah, I think I've got to quite agree there. I think the the iconic look of the, those swoop bikes 
is a classic low low slung Harley Davidson. It's like it's coming out of out of Orange County choppers uh, <laughs> over in the US, and yeah, with the, the big handlebars high up and you know, sort of the low low slung sleeve seat, sort of slightly laid back position that those riders were meant to be in on the, on those bikes. Yeah, for me, yeah, it's got to be that as well because it just put you again. It immersed you into Tatooine, and obviously that's where the whole of the the trilogy really starts, where you actually get to to know about Luke and what have you going through Beggars Canyon and all that in A New Hope, and it takes you back to that visceral sort of environment that is dangerous. Um, obviously, puts you in in immediate danger, and it was pretty difficult as well. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys both play N64 versions or did you play the PC version as well? I just played... Well, I played the demo of the... the so the Snow Speeder level on the PC, but then it was N64 because, uh, gosh, what was it? Packard Bell struggled playing games. So it was N64 cartridge all the way once it came out. Yeah, it was N64 for me and obviously my work's laptop used to get, get uh, the odd outing now and again. Uh, the one time I, the, my brother-in-law did actually play a game on my work's laptop and he played it that much. It wasn't Shadows, but he actually destroyed the CPU in it. So I had to have it repaired and explain it to my gaffers because it was overheated because he was playing it that much. So, so yeah, so yeah, it'd definitely be uh, N64 all the way. What was your excuse for it overheating? Uh, I just said it was faulty tech. Luckily, I was in that I was in that trade, so I actually managed to get just a warranty call put on it. <laughs> <laughs> Fudge the paperwork as you do. The things we do for Star Wars. I know. <laughs> I'm just reading there. So one of the key differences, obviously, I know the, the PC version came later, was that in the N64 version, it utilizes artwork with text at the bottom of the screen instead of cutscenes, where the PC version has full motion cinematic cutscenes with sound effects and voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was that was a bit different. Obviously, for the first time seeing that type of thing, obviously those sort of things had been were being pioneered by LucasArts at the time uh, because the team that they got they got assembled was phenomenal, and the people that were, were behind those types of things as well, these cut scenes and all those sort of things, were the Hildebrandt brothers, Greg and Tim, you know, and they were producing artwork, you know, and there was over a hundred pieces of art that they produced, obviously for the uh, trading card set for Tops. And some of that artwork was then reiterated and, and then reinstalled back into the games. So, you know, it was it was quite a mammoth task uh, for creativity and, and what have you to actually feed that in to actually get, get those cutscenes put together. We've covered the game quite a bit there. Um, so sort of moving on to the, the novel, um, sort of, would you mind giving us a, a brief outline of the story in the novel and how it's different from the game? I, I mean, that's perspective, isn't it, Steve? It's with the game. Your your dash and very much taking things from Dash's point of view. The book, I would say, is more overarching, but very much with the focus on Shizor and how he's working against Vader to try and. Sabotage Vader's efforts to get Luke to the Emperor. Yep, completely agree. the The book it come is the same story, but from a different perspective, and I think that's that's why the the mediums actually work together because 
again, John Wagner's comic book was the same storyline, the same eventualities, and some key events happen in a, simultaneously between all the all the platforms. But again, it was perspective because that was more from Boba Fett's. Yeah. Uh, can you put trials to get him to get Han Solo to Jabba? So again, it was it was more perspective based. So yeah, going along the lines of of Shizor, possibly Luke, but you still it it goes along with. I would say that Shizor is is one of the key focuses. Vader, but also you've got your rebellion as well. So the rebels it does not doesn't actually particularly follow one of them. It actually follows them as a group because they're actually working together. Yeah. So obviously with uh, Shizor and Black Sun, um, this will be the first time we've introduced a Black Sun in canon. Is that correct? At the time? Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was huge to know. I mean, the fact that Shizor was working with the um, you know the Empire and was third in line really to the hierarchy was just mind blowing. I mean, because with the book, I actually it was the audio book I got first. And hearing that come over with the soundtrack was just like, are you kidding me? Um, it was like, it, it, like you say, it's one of those things that makes you rethink the films, rethink how you see the Empire. Um, and Sheezal was just, it was like nothing we'd ever seen before. We'd had, I think up to that point, you know, Thrawn and people who seem very Imperial-esque. And then you have this, you know, leader of a crime syndicate who we'd met Jabba who let's be honest you're never going to forget Jabba but you know you had Shizor who was reptilian and was you just looked at him going my gosh this is something very very new to Star Wars how he operates is very different and the fact it's with the Empire rather than you know the Empire I mean what we knew of the Empire was you know Jabba had to be on the outskirts um, Han had had to be careful, you know, he was a smuggler and everything, but this guy was actually working with the Empire as opposed to against them. The interesting spin on that as well is when you look at Shizor, he's actually head of Black Sun. Jabba is a puppet to Black Sun, so he's well down the food chain. What you can remember as well is in 97, we had the release of the special editions. So Han, So Han meeting Jabba hadn't happened on screen at that point in time either. So really, when you look at the the, the, the big part of it, Han Solo is real small fry in, in the lineage of smuggling and all those sort of things. But it also reflects on how insignificant Jabba also is as well. So it just shows that, you know, so she's always using, he's puppeteering Jabba and using his ownership of Han Solo through Boba Fett to actually get back at Vader. If you see what I mean, it's like, although it's, it's distant, the relationship is there is distant. So obviously we didn't know, know that much about Jabba from a new hope until the following year, because obviously all that with her, that was originally shot with Declan Mulholland was actually reintroduced with the CG version of Jabba and obviously reshot in places. So it actually develops Jabba's place in everything, so you actually realised how insignificant in a way that he actually was. Um, so when Shadows of the Empire, you know, you, you're playing the game, you're reading the book, you're seeing the comic book on shelves, um, 
are you aware at this point that the special editions are coming a year later? Not really, no. It was it was still never really uh, put out there. I remember when it was put. I think it was probably the turn of the year. It was it was the start of ninety seven. I think that really before we started hearing that it was definitely happening. I think yeah, it was Rumblings. Rumblings started still happening. Celebrating the release of the the re release of the VHSs at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is crazy, you know. It's 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 so strange talking about it now. But obviously, Star Wars was quite hard to get hold of on VHS. I mean, I had recorded off the TV of all things, but to get a decent copy with, I think the big selling point was with THX Sound, with um, a decent sound quality, had come out. I mean, I'm probably talking three years previously, um, but the idea of special editions just nothing could be heard of because you just you didn't have the the kind of the the social media has been able to spread gossip you didn't have people looking into things or even if you did it was you weren't really looking for it i think also as well home cinema hadn't really become an advent i think it was in its infant properly in its infancy like like the internet at the time so that, there was also the push there for obviously things going to widescreen because obviously widescreen TVs yeah. were were for people who got a bit of money like you know so like, like sometimes people say 4K TVs at the moment and you know ultra HD and all that sort of stuff. There's always a a change in uh, how can you put it in technology that that sort of like pushes us to the next level and that is that is one of the drivers. So I do know that obviously through talking to a a few people connected to things the the actual creation of the special editions was to test the water for the technology for the prequel trilogy so shadows is also a forerunner for testing the technologies there to actually go and actually put out a special edition because obviously they're having to clean up all the footage you know sort of take all the original reels out and sort of some parts of some of the reels were were nearly beyond repair and all these sort of things so there was a hell of a lot going on in the background so the yeah, so it was a bit like a swan. Lucasfilm and LucasArts were just growing across the water, but the, the legs underneath were just going like Billy-O. I'm glad you brought up widescreen it. I remember when the special editions came out on VHS, if I remember this correctly, it, it got released in widescreen and non-widescreen. I think, was it yeah, a yeah. Silver, silver box for normal and a gold box for widescreen? I think That's it's right. the other way around, because I had the gold box. Yes, so, it would be the other way around. Yes, so I had the silver box. <laughs> So I remember I really wanted, we didn't have widescreen, and I really wanted the colour that was widescreen. And my mum was like, you haven't got widescreen, son, you can't have it. And I was like, but I don't want this colour, I want the other colour. And uh, I remember like not understanding what she meant. I was like, why can't we get a widescreen? She was like, can't afford a widescreen, son. I was like, well, like, why can't we? But like, yeah, I remember that being like the biggest issue of my life. I think at the time was I wanted the other colour box set. Oh, you say that, I remember my biggest issue was I remember going, it come on ITV in widescreen saying to my dad, Dad, there are bits of Star Wars here that I've never seen before. It's like they've cut it down. And he was looking at me like going, are you going mad? I was like, no, no, Dad, seriously, I'm joking. I'm not joking. There's bits. And he, we hadn't you know, really got to grips with widescreen. And I was like, Dad, I've seen this film this many times. I'm telling you, there are bits. I can see Luke walking up the stairs. And pulling out our video, you know, recorded videos, and my dad going, "Oh my goodness, mate!" I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> yeah, you know, we we at the time because obviously uh, we got uh, just say we just got married and all that sort of thing. We were running with a 21 inch 
4-3 ratio telly. And I bought the widescreen versions. <laughs> so you just imagine what they size they were on the 4-3 screen. Yeah, you, you you get laptop screens that are bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. The price of televisions now, you, you can get like, you know, you can get a, a pretty big flat screen for a couple hundred pounds now where I remember, you know, sort of go to your mum and we need to buy a widescreen telly and they were like, you know, you, you, you were talking, you know, over £500 yeah. uh, for these mm. very, very fat pieces of kit. Um, so it's crazy how media's changed. I think like, I think kids these days like, don't realize like how easy they've got things. I think like you know if I wanted to watch it in widescreen, I'd probably have to go to a friend's house and watch it at their <laughs> house in widescreen. Uh, and like how you know, and like you would have to record if you, you know if you didn't have the VHSs, you would have to wait for it to come on television and then like set your VHR to to record it. Um, and I think these days, you know, it's just a, you press a button, and you've got it. If you look at Disney Plus, you know, if you 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 buy a smart telly and you can just click a button and they've got Star Wars in widescreen in the best quality it's ever been in. Yeah, I think the one thing that, that people do forget is like I saw Star Wars uh, early '78. I was I was very lucky. I was around at that time. Uh, <laughs> un, unlucky in other ways when they get up some mornings and they ate like hell. Uh, but in general, you know, so I, I had to wait probably a couple of years before I saw Star Wars again. You know what I mean? I was I was five when I when I went. To, I was looking to see a New Hope, and then you know I was probably seven before I saw it again. I just had to. I was just feeding off the comics, and you know, sort of the scraps of what was available, you know, sort of on on TV programs where they might have featured like a, a thirty second snippet of of something going on. This really you know, does so, sound like the medieval times, Steve. You're sorry. This really does sound like the medieval times. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So we, my wife and I have, have conversations on a regular basis, saying, "Oh, can you remember when we used to have to do that? You know, we used to have the bread delivered to our door and stuff like that. You know, these days you can get what can you get delivered to your door? Oh, bloody anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But back back then it was like you know we still got the coal man coming around and stuff like that. <laughs> different times, mate. And a lot of kids they they don't understand as you say, Pete. Everything's on tap for so many people these days uh, and the experience of Star Wars back in the 70s uh, and, and partly through through the 90s as well with, with, with no social media and, and technology uh, it was it was still quite antiquated jumping back into the into the novel um, <laughs> yeah sorry we've gone right off on a tangent haven't we there sorry but it, it was me who brought it up to be fair so it, <laughs> Jumping back into the novel, though, so, you know, Steve Perry's sort of the author. Um, obviously, the book's now Legends. Um, have you sort of read the book, have you re-read the book recently? And sort of, how does the story hold up now to how it was then, 25 years ago? I re- on, Sorry, Steve, you go. I reread it as revision for doing the Shadows of the Empire, or Shadows at 25, as we called it, uh, for, for doing the articles, and I reread it. And it holds up perfectly well. I think it, as a standalone book, uh, I had a bit of, not a debate, but I uh, had a, a few tweets going alongside with Cavan Scott on Twitter the other day. And he turned around and says, as long as it's a good read, it doesn't matter whether it's canon or not enjoy the book for what it is if it's a good story and it holds up it's worth reading 
and that for me says everything. Shadows of the Empire is a an absolutely stunning book to read. It's not not the, the longest of novels either. It's not an arduous read. It's fun, and it, yeah, it's so well written. It really is. Yeah, I I actually listened to the audiobook um, again recently just because that's how I experienced the the novel the first time around. And um, I agree with Steve. I think it holds up. It's as Steve said, uh, you know, a, a bit earlier. It just feels like Star Wars. It doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, there's that humour in, but it's still got that element of Star Wars of that that original trilogy feel that I think sometimes can be a bit lacking in some of the the future books where this it just feels right. I think the one thing that Steve Perry did which for me really stands out in the book is the time where Leia and Shizor are left alone where she's trying to negotiate transport for the for the rebellion through Shizor's transport arm that the also the empire is also using to construct the second death star. Now she goes in and he's got this power to exude pheromones which can win over any female of any species. Uh, so it's a bit like a, uh, an aftershave called the Force, but obviously it works in a slightly different way. And he's changing colour as he does as he exudes this pheromone. And he's actually seducing Leia with these pheromones and she can't understand why she's feeling this way towards him. But she's got these feelings for Han. And the chapters where... She, where Perry deals with those. The writing is phenomenal, and it, it gives another aspect to Leia and her internal troubles and and toils because she still doesn't know Luke's her brother, but she understands there's a relationship there with Luke, but she doesn't understand whether it's a uh, how can you put it a lustful relationship in the future or it's actually a platonic brotherly one, which we use what we, what we are which is what we do get. And it's a confusion that's within, within her. And the way that is written is some of the best writing we've, we've probably seen in, in some of the Star Wars legends. I've heard a rumour that um, the publishers originally instructed um, Steve Perry to write that um, that actually like he's successful in seducing Leia, but the author actually refused because he feels a strong backlash on it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Steve did kick back on it. Uh, and I, I think he did the right thing, actually. I think it was a very, very good choice. Yeah, he he did. He commented in uh, in the interview that we did with him. And he said that, you know, so I, I said that that was like one of my real standout parts of the book. And he says, yeah, he said that could have gone slightly differently. Uh, so, yes, that is correct. He did actually kick back and say, no, I think it should go this way. And I wholeheartedly back back the decision he made. It was a it was a great decision, as I say again, a, a great piece of writing. I wonder if, like you know, if Shadows of the Empire was coming out now for the first time, and and they'd done and they'd done the successful um, seducing the Blair storyline, like I guarantee that would be something that would cause like a Twitter yeah. breakdown. Oh, yes, definitely, completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Yes, I mean it's true because obviously you know again you're going back to the we we don't know much about our you know not compared to now of the characters and you just had to have Leia being having somewhat strong willed you know as you know because it's you know it's 
it's Leia. It's she should be. You know, we wanted the Leia that we had from A New Hope, not you know someone who could just be so easily distracted. Um, so, I, like you say, I think Twitter would just go crazy over it. To be honest, it would be yeah, the impact would be shocking. Come on, it doesn't take much for Twitter to melt down, does it? Anyway, over Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, all you've got to do is, is somebody do something just so minor that somebody doesn't like, and there's a crest of a wave that's coming through that's going to take out the whole the whole of fandom one day. You know, it's yeah. it, 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 it's it's one of those. It's, it's, vol- it's volatile at best. Yeah. <laughs> um. Is it right that Steve Perry's expressed his support in adapting the story as an animated film? Yes. Yeah. And I think that would be... I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't been done before um, because it, it it seems so such an obvious one to do, particularly as it's held in such high regard by so many people. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed now, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it's, we're not going to see it, uh, but it would have been... The thing is, with having a, having an, an original soundtrack as well, and John McNeely did absolutely amazing work on that. And so Mark reviewed it for Jedi News, and I actually reviewed it for Fabio Fiore and the, the guys over at Tatooine Times. Uh, they asked me to uh, go on loan for a couple of hours and, and do that for them, which I was more than happy to do. But yeah, how actually sitting down and actually really concentrating on that, and you can see how easily it could have been brought together. Animation was already halfway there because we've got a video game, storyboards in a way, uh, and an amazing book, and I think it could have been quite easily done. Yeah, I, th- I think if the technology had been at the point where it was in 2005 for Clone Wars, and I think if Lucas hadn't been busy with special editions and obviously the prequels, and having obviously just finished, I think I'm right in saying at that point, the young Indiana Jones series, it would have been the almost seemed like the right combination of things to bring that you know to re-bring Star Wars back into television well past Jedi we'd only ever had animated series yeah uh, once Jedi had gone we'd, we'd had droids and, and Ewoks yeah. uh, so we'd, we'd only ever had animated from that point so animation probably would have been the next step but obviously video gaming changed early 90s right I was going to say late 80s but really it was the early 90s when it really changed because you'd actually got things the advent of the personal computer uh, with the, the old IBM AT so that was I think that was the game change I think that's why I think the video game was the animation if you see what I mean yes yeah Speaking of sort of animation and, and, and how things look, obviously you mentioned, you know, Drew Struzan came in to do the cover of the book, which, you know, the cover of the book is absolutely beautiful. I think, obviously, you know, Drew Struzan did did the original trilogy posters. Um, he he did the prequel trilogy posters. Uh, and I think getting him in to do this just, again, just allows us to blend in to the Star Wars story and the Star Wars sort of visual presence that we know and love. Yeah, I mean, obviously he did most, I want to say most of the covers for a lot of the original um, Expanded Universe. I mean, like I said, back then you were getting one, I want to say it was, uh, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the early 90s it was literally one book a year, wasn't it? Yep, it was. May May 91 uh, was uh, the very first Timothy Zahn Thrawn novel. Yeah. Uh, 
Heir to the Empire. Then the following year, it was the May 92. But the following year, it was actually April. So we actually waited 11 months for the for the third and final so, book of that trilogy. Yeah. But yeah, it, we were lucky if it was two a year. Yeah. And so we made uh, it. So the fact that the covers were done by Drew Struz and, and everything, you know, they were, unlike now, where if you want to read a bit more Star Wars, there's a book, you know, every, every couple of months. It was It was an event. You know, you everyone got because there, you know, wasn't the range. Everyone was reading the exact same book at the exact same time, and it just it it made so much so it was such a bigger impact on us as fans because it was so little. And in some ways, you kind of want to. I, I want to say I kind of miss those times because it was great to be talking about this. You know, these books for so long before they're moving on you know, to the next one, you you know, you could discuss for hours on end and not have any idea about any of the answers for a whole of the year. It was, it was a very different time. I think one, one thing with Shadows, because it was one book, whereas The Throne was a trilogy. Yeah. The Throne, the Throne books from, from Zahn. So that made it different because it was one of the first standalone books as such. But obviously in those periods between those books as well, you could reread them. Yeah. So it wasn't you just read Shadows of the Empire, you put it down, you probably never go back to it, you'd pick up the next book. And that's one of the problems. Well, I wouldn't say one of the problems. With the High Republic, we had five releases within two months of, of major novels, whether it be for, for junior readers or, or whichever. But they're all part of the same storyline, followed by comics as well, that all fit in from Star Wars Advent or the, the High Republic Adventures, it's known from the IDW and the High Republic for Marvel. Back then, you could actually pick up Shadows of the Empire and probably reread it five times before you actually picked up the next book, which was following eight, nine months later. So I think that also helped you becoming more involved with the story because you'd read it that many times, you knew it off by heart. You could probably recite certain parts of the book without even blinking. I probably know that you can, Mark. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? So, So I think because we've read it that many times because you had that much time between the books, now it's like a conveyor belt. Yeah. Next one, put it down. Next one, put it down. Next one, put it down. And that's where, where it's all changed. And in some ways, it, it's the old adage of what they said about Disney, too much too soon, as the movies were too close together. And, you know, sort of like we were force-fed too much Star Wars in such a short space of time after Disney took over. Whether that's my opinion or somebody else's, and say so that, you know, that, that's for debate. But it, it's, it seems like, you know, sort of we get a lot of more information now than we ever did and it's just become more prolific yeah and i mean obviously the difference with shadows as well is where you know you had heir to the empire coming out and the dark empire comics which were mentioned you know the the dark empire comics i think i won't say get mentioned in heir to the empire you know you you read the shadows of the um, shadows of the empire novel but then as the months are progressing you're picking up these comics that have been again released at a steadier pace than they are now that are making you completely re-see uh, you know rethink about how the book has portrayed things and seeing things from a different angle you've then got the you know the game coming in again showing it from a different angle so this where you've got this year of a gap with between books you've got a year with things enhancing that original book as you're going through it, which was just, you know, I don't think we've really had anything quite like it since. Yeah, I think, actually, you know, I think you made a brilliant point there. So 
because I struggle a lot with new canon. Um, but I think you know if you know we see Shadows of Empires out and you've got time to read it a few times that year, it's almost like watching the movie over and over again. So it will become familiar to you. So you you know it in and out, and then when you play a game or when you read a tie-in comic, it's sort of fresh in your mind. Where I think right now, sort of, because I, I I do read new canon. I probably up until two and a half years ago, I was up to date. But right right now, yeah. I'm halfway through a Throne trilogy. I'm halfway through a Alphabet Squadron trilogy, and I'm halfway through a um, High Republic, like books that are out at the minute. So like, I'm trying to keep up, but I'm just like all over the place, and I'm struggling to keep up. And it's like I love having Star Wars all over the place and new Star Wars coming out, but like, I've like maybe if I quit my job and got rid of my relationship, I definitely have time to do it all. But it's just a case of um, there's too much Star Wars at the minute, which I suppose is a good problem I have. Yeah, I feel your pain with that because I'm, I feel the same. And I think, but to me, that's all the problem as well because every I imagine most people are in the same boat, but we're all reading slightly different things. You know, I've read all the the High Republic things, but, you know, I haven't necessarily read the Alphabet um, Squadron books. And so that that buzz that should be there for a single release isn't there because people are focusing on different parts, you know, different books that are being released. And I think it seems a shame because it's that buzz that I think makes it so awesome to be a fan. You know, when the Mandalorian comes out, we're all watching the Mandalorian because it's the only bit of Star Wars TV we've got. So we're all talking about it. And, you know, back in the, in the nineties when the books and, you know, the comics were being released, you know, because there were so few, it was that sort of event that you were talking about it with, you know, your, your friends and other fans. Yeah. So I completely agree there. I, I... Not, I'm not trying to say stop producing Star Wars books because the team that they've got with Cavan Scott and Charles Soule and and, and, the, and Justina and Claudia and DJ. If I if I've missed anybody there, please don't shout at me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what what they're doing and what they're producing alongside the comics is is absolutely phenomenal. But you know, so War of the Bounty Hunters is, is 40 issues between the first of May and the end of October. You know, wow. when you start counting, that's four. You know, just short of forty. So I think it's what thirty-eight issues. I, I did mention it in our, you know, WhatsApp chat the other day, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, and you know, so that is a phenomenal amount of, of uh, comic books coming out. And that's just to explain one storyline, which a four hundred page Shadows of the Empire did. Yeah. Obviously, sort of finishing up talking about the novel um, by Steve Perry. What was sort of each of yours? Favorite part of of the novel, the, the oh. she's all layer relationship part, just the way that is written uh, is you just get to understand layer more, uh, and you understand the the hurt that she's all goes through because all of a sudden he's been rebuffed. Bit of a spoiler alert there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, for me that that just stands out phenomenally. For me, it would be Shizor and Vader. It was really the first time where we get to see that Vader isn't just um, the Emperor's apprentice, that there is a constant battle going on with every single person who's below the Emperor trying to impress him, trying to show him that, you know, praise should be heaped on them. And it was the first real time when Vader was the one in question trying to gathers the emperor's approval and having to deal with other p- people you know for somebody who was vader's equal but in a very very different sort of way um and i i think that was just wonderful to see 
And last thing about the book, um, I've read that there was a prequel novel planned to be written by uh, Charles Grant, but this was cancelled simply due to licensing issues. Never heard that one. To be to be to be, to be fair, Charles uh, Grant wrote um, X Files Whirlwind, didn't he? I think off the top of my head, or God that's one. I wouldn't know that one, sir. But I've I've never heard that. But no. I've just finished reading a novel that should never have come out in the Heart of the Jedi by Kenneth Flint, oh. uh, which I've got to admit uh, that's that's another discussion for another day on on a, on a totally separate separate time. I think because uh, there's that much to get into with that book, but that was an unproduced novel of of the, of the same era. Uh, but I've, I've never heard of that one. To be fair, Pete. Yeah, so I, I, I you just come across it when I was doing a bit of research. Um, so apparently. Um, Charles Grant was going to write a prequel novel for Shadows of the Empire, and it simply didn't happen because Lucasfilm Licensing moved from Bantam Books to Del Rey Books. Oh, now you've right, said okay. that, that's ringing a little bell. Yeah. I think it was it was such a smidgen, because again, I think the internet was only just really starting to um, get to the kind of volume where it is now. Um, but I, I remember hearing rumblings about something like that. I hadn't realised it was Charles Grant. Um, and I remember being disappointed, but obviously, think you know, back then it was just like, okay, let's move on, kind of thing. Although I think a prequel would have been very interesting, very interesting indeed, particularly with She's All, because we don't. She's All, although the impact I think She's All and particularly Black Sun have on Star Wars, even in canon, She's All very rarely gets um, brought into um, the books and comics, except for the Bounty Hunters trilogy. Yeah. Um, which, for someone who was such a popular character, who, you know, and is so important within the kind of hierarchy of the Empire, seems absolutely shocking. Yeah, I think the one character we, we need to mention really is Guri as well, because she was like a, a Blade Runner esque replicant. Yeah. And obviously, that's where Shadows of the Empire Evolution. Yeah, again, written by Steve Perry, and I know I do know from talking to Steve that his wish was to carry on Dash Rendar's story and Guri's story beyond that as well, if he'd have been allowed to. So you know there was, there was plenty of uh, of mileage there and and plenty of clamour from Steve uh, to to carry on writing Shadows. Yeah, so sort of diving into the comic side of it, obviously the, the first comic run, the six-issue comic run, was written by uh, John Wagner, um, and Steve Perry was a story consultant on that. Um, and that's what we've already mentioned, where it was the sort of storyline following Boba Fett and the Bounty Hunters from Empire Strikes Back, um, as well as new characters. Um, and the hiring of the sort of the, the gang of bikers. Uh, sort yeah, Jicks and, and co, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember sort of reading the comics and when you first saw the comics out there? Yes. <laughs> oh, it was um, the first time my, my dad ever took me to Nostalgia Comics in Birmingham. Um, and there's, there's two layers. And I remember going up to their, their uh, first floor and finding a vintage Darth Vader figure, yeah, complete, for nine ninety nine. Those were the days. Um, and I remember purchase, um, grabbing it ready to purchase. And I just went past. It was issue two, I think, at Shows of the Empire. And there was Boba Fett 
mid kind of stride looking around as there's a load of guns pointing at him and thinking oh my goodness me what is this and five minutes later i came out with the comic um not really i hadn't really kind of connected that it was related to the game i was playing um how wonderful the mind of a 10 year old is i guess um but going through this comic going what is what is this this is incredible the artwork the whole you know up till then i've been reading uh the beano and the dandy so to go from that to this was like what have i got in my hands yeah so i came late to the comics actually uh my main connection through the comics because to be fair i was at an age obviously i was quite a bit older so really comics weren't in vogue for somebody of my age at the time uh i've got back into comics in the last 10 years in a massive way uh but at the time it wasn't quite in vogue for somebody of my age to be reading comics you know mid to late 20s so i think that's that's where i stumbled a bit my only connection with the comics really was the uh comics that were actually put out with the action figures so whenever you bought one a two-pack of the action figures so you got uh IG-88 versus Boba Fett, and you'd also got a, a Vader versus Shizor. You actually got a, a mini breakdown comic, uh, again, from the original artwork by Killian Plunkett and, and storyline uh, by uh, John Wagner as well. But some of them also, we used to get spin-off ones through the, uh, not the not the Galoob Micro Machines. Which ones was it, Mark, that had the extra comics? Was It, it was Galoob, wasn't it? It was the yeah. micro machines. They they all came with like little mini comics with them as well, uh, but they weren't they were penned by somebody different as well. And I can't remember that person's name off the top of my head now. I'm looking through my notes, and it wasn't in my notes. It was actually in the article that I wrote uh, regarding all the uh, everything but a, a a movie article that I did uh, at the end of the celebration. So yeah, so my comic book experience for them was was slightly delayed. Uh, but I've really enjoyed revisiting them uh, because obviously it does tell the same story, but from a completely different perspective. And what, what's your favourite part about that that first six issue comic book series? Any page that's got Boba Fett on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Steve, for me, it was um, Binks. I love Jinx, which is because I remember getting the one shot uh, Shadow Stalker, which had him in. It, I love the fact that Vader, I mean, it again seems so obvious now, um, but you know, him going and firing, finding someone to hire to do his work, very much actually how he works with um, Dr. Aphra, you know, within the uh, Darth Vader series um, by Kieran Gillen. Um, you know, it was it, it it was again showing a different side to how the Empire and Vader worked, and that whole kind of hierarchy thing. That actually, this you know the the image you have portrayed in the movies is that they're this very utilitarian um, empire that doesn't like you know crime, doesn't like smugglers, and actually the whole of Shadows just completely undoes that and goes. Actually, they do use them, and this is how. Joking apart with the Boba Fett thing there, I think what what I really enjoyed was it, it actually delved inside uh, the actual world of the Bounty Hunter. Like we're getting the Mandalorian and, and what we're actually getting in War of the Bounty Hunters now. Uh, it actually goes beyond that serene... We've seen this man of mystery in this beat-up 
armor with the rocket pack and all that sort of thing. But it actually takes you beyond that. It actually takes you into his world a bit. And I think we'd never really seen that before. I think we got that afterwards through John Wagner with the uh, Boba Fett uh, twin engines. Uh, en- What's it? Engines of Destruction, is it? Yeah. And and those types of titles. Uh, but we'd never we'd never really stepped inside that world before. And I think that was that was what captivated me about it. Although, again, that was a few years after after they originally came out. I've just been doing a bit of reading, so there was, yeah, micro comics were released with the micro machine toys. Uh, That's right. Yeah, with, there was three. Yeah. There was three micro comics uh, and two comic packs as well. Uh, I think the two packs. Airtel model kits. I don't know. I'm unfamiliar yes. with what that is. Yeah, the Earthle model kits basically the Virago, Emperor, and Prince Shizor, uh, and basically they they were again little uh, little mini comics within those. Again, they're available on eBay uh, quite prominently at the moment. Uh, all the Earthle stuff, and some of them are still sealed, and they don't go for for obnoxiously bad prices. And they are lovely kits as well when made up. So if anybody's out there who fancies a a weekend's model old fashioned model making uh, with a bit of painting and that. Uh, they're, they're well worth picking up as well. And then there was a pop-up comic, pop-up comic, sorry, uh, entitled "Battle of the Bounty Hunters," um, which obviously sounds very similar to "War of the Bounty Hunters." Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, Star Wars is poor as to say it rhymes. Um, <laughs> and then also one shot comic called "The Jabba Tape." Um, That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the thing is as well that what also gets mixed in with this as well is if you buy the the actual new version of the Shadows of the Empire Omnibus, uh, which was on Comixology for 67p the other day. Was it 67p, Mark, or was it 79p? 79. 79p, uh, which was a, a terrible price to pay for six copies or six issues of Shadows of the Empire, five issues of Evolution, and six issues of Mara Jade, Hand of the, em- Hand of the Emperor. And basically, they were all meant to tie in as well. So even the uh, the Mara Jade series was meant to tie in with Shadows of the Empire in some way as well. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like I said, I mean, you had Shadows Talkers for Jinx and the, the Jabbatakes. I think the Jabbatakes were set after Return of the Jedi and kind of yeah. what happened to the Swoop Gang. But it's 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 strange because for something that has such um, an effect on so many fans that there's so few, I think, offshoots from Shadows. Like it was one of those things I think people were scared to touch almost because the main story had had such an impact. And how do you, you know, it, because for us, obviously, it filled in the gap between Empire and Jedi. It's how do you replicate that with these characters going forward? Yeah, I suppose, it, you know, you've got sort of the beginning of the story in Empire Strikes Back. This group of stories in different mediums, Shadows of the Empire, fills in. The next part of the story, and then then we're ready to return to the Jedi, really, which at the time I suppose is the end of the Star Wars story for all intents and purposes. Um, so I can definitely see why it would be challenging to sort of where do we go from here. Um, that sequel comic series, uh, the Shadows Empire Evolution, when did that come out? Was that like 90s as well? Yeah, that was later. Uh, it was actually set after Return of the Jedi, uh, so it's actually the collapse after the collapse of the Empire. Uh, but obviously, she uh, Guri comes into some cra- uh, sort of comes into conflict with some imperial forces. But it's uh, it's a proper redemption story of, of Guri's story, because obviously she's become the uh, 
the bodyguard and linchpin of of Black Sun. Basically, she's become the enforcer in some way for Shizor. Uh, but it's about her redemption, how she wants to go and get her memory wiped and forget everything that's going on, uh, all the bad deeds that she's done. Uh, but people are after her because she knows all the Black Sun's secrets. And it's where also as well, uh, Feline, the one of the Feline is back in it as well. Uh, and it's Shizor's niece, I think it is, if I remember rightly. Yeah. Uh, and she's trying to take over Black Sun, but she's trying to do it in disguise. She's not actually showing her true identity. And she's after Guri, the Empire after Guri. And then obviously she in, in, you know, sort of comes across Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Gang, and, and it all kicks off from there. So, yeah, it's a great story as well. Yeah, um, I, think, I think I think it was about ninety. Oh, I think it was don't quote me. It could have been a, yeah, it could have been a lot later than that. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was something they kind of left buried, and then but although, if I'm remembering my my years right, I'm sure the Bantam Delray um, changeover happened in two thousand and one, which might explain why they were thinking of doing um, yeah. a prequel book with Charles Grant, and then nineteen ninety eight. Was it really that late? Yeah, um, early. Sorry. But the trade paperback didn't come out until two thousand. Oh, that makes so sense. So that, that might be where you get your dates from. And then, it, yeah. then the then the omnibus was twenty ten. Yeah. The power of Google. <laughs> <laughs> so you know we, we've got, you know we've got this novel, we've got this game, we've got this comic book series, um, and all telling this sort of overarching story of what's happening in Star Wars between episodes five and episode six. Uh, from different points of view. Um, so we're getting different pieces of the story in these different mediums. And then along comes a soundtrack that Lucasfilm commissioned. Um, so reading up on this, it looks like that it, this isn't the soundtrack to the game. This is a soundtrack they had made up to go along with the story. Is that correct? Yeah, parts of it feature within the game. Um, but it was it was done as a far as a far more like overarching thing for the entire um story as opposed to being specifically made for the game although as soon as i started listening to it I was like oh that bit's in here and you know you can hear bits of it in the audio book so they used it like there's an overarching thing for the different the other mediums to be able to dip in and out of yeah i, th- I think if you read the if you've got the vinyl version uh there's some real wonderful notes written by joel mcneely uh on there about about the story and how it's how it how it meant to dovetail into that into those stories, uh, and I hadn't got the vinyl copy, and you know, so Fabio from Tatooine Times sent them over to me so I could do the review for him. And it was really interesting reading those uh, because it actually tells you what parts of the book that they were actually uh, based upon, because the game hadn't happened by then. Uh, it's like the the uh, Greg and Tim Hildebrandt uh, tops cards they were done before the game was complete and, and ready to go. And that's why some of that a lot of that some of that art was actually used in the, the stills and what have you for, for the game and the sequencing. Uh and, and those types of things. So what you've got is you've got actually the book was the formative thing that everything spawned from as such. And everything came just those those few steps later. But the soundtrack does relate very heavily into the book itself and the events of the book. Do you have a favourite track on the album? Shizor's theme. <laughs> See, I would be... Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the track name now. Um, Night at Imperial City, I think it is. 
Truck Three Imperial City. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking later on. It's Night um, Skies. Yes, sorry, that's the one. Yeah. yeah, because you've got Shizor's theme intertwined with a, um, a slower tempo Vader theme um, that gets interwoven. It's kind of taking what we know, changing it slightly, and intertwining it with the new. And you can, particularly with Vader's theme, you can you really feel the emotional turmoil that's going through Vader um, at the time. And I think that really comes across in the music. Yeah, and I find that the most interesting, like, you know, we've got this turmoil going on with inside Darth Vader that we haven't seen before, and then it's going to directly affect the ending of Return of the Jedi, where we see the same thing happening again. Um, so, like, I think the fact that they use it to sort of to bring more of Anakin out in the character of Darth Vader, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Definitely make me excited to sort of check out these stories now. Yeah, I mean, particularly obviously, as we've said earlier, um, you know, we didn't really know the prequels were coming out. So for us, this was kind of one of our first glimpses of how, like you say, the Anakin side coming out, which to us is nothing more than, you know, Obi-Wan's recollections rather than Anakin directly. Um, and no other books had been, like I said, apart from Splinter of the Mind's Eye, this was the first book that really had Vader as a character to be explored in light of the fact that he's told Luke who he is. Did you sort of pick this album up um, sort of during the same time of reading the book and playing the game for the first time, or was it like years later you found the album? Unfortunately, the internet wasn't what it was, um, and HMV, for some strange reason, wouldn't stock um, Shadows of the Empire. Um, and I came across this, I think, roughly, it was about 2005 on eBay, um, and picked it up later put it in and the memories came flooding back of the game, of the audiobook, and it was just like, wow. Um, there are bits that are very human, I want to say, like the the um, themes for within like Shizor and the dance, dances are very based on Earth themes, which of, of course back then when you're relying, you're, your uh, lister doesn't necessarily have the visuals. You're needing to create an impression using themes and ideas that people already know to help shape those views. Um, but obviously you've then also got the choir in quite a large part of it, which having then coming from already seeing the prequels with stuff like Jewel of the Fates, you're thinking, you know, um, McNeely was quite ahead of his time in a lot of ways. Yeah, I completely agree with that, especially with the, the with the choral additions. I think that was quite it was groundbreaking because we'd never we'd never had choral uh, additions to any Star Wars classical music. The other thing as well is, is if you listen to a couple of the tracks, you can actually hear inflections from sort of when you listen to the soundtrack for the Force Awakens around Ray. I think it's the the second or third track. Uh, I remember highlighting it because it was just it, it was at a point where you could just hear those sort of like it was just real small inflections and it, it seems as though somewhere along the line it, it, it just felt naturally it felt like it was John Williams although you knew it wasn't yeah and because McNeely does a very very good job of start you know bringing in in the established kind of sound with Williams and 
every so often intertwines it with the new stuff just to remind you that actually what you're listening to is Star Wars before pushing on with his his own ideas. Um, and yet there's some, you know, somehow he's able to go, actually, if John Williams was doing this, how would it sound? Yeah. And hence where you hear the similarities then between, you know, in things from the prequels, things from the sequels. And it's it's amazing to think that somebody was brave enough and Lucasfilm was brave enough to have somebody other than Williams do a soundtrack like this. And it actually comes over very, very well, even after all these years. I think if you look at look, also look at McNeely's pedigree and yeah. his ability, uh, I think you can see that you know so he'd done Indiana Jones chronic the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles for for Lucasfilm in the build up to this, so he was already known to the team as such. Uh, so he was, he'd already got stock in at, at Lucasfilm quite well. Uh, so I think he was a, probably a natural choice. It could have been John Williams might not have been available. He could have been scoring something else because obviously Williams hasn't just done Star Wars. Uh, there are quite a few out there that he has done. Uh, well, quite a few. There's a few, yeah. Yeah, you, the, probably the most prolific composer of history, let alone a, my lifetime. Probably the most, you know, more prolific than any composer like handle back anybody like that probably somebody's going to shoot me now and and start sending sending me some stick over social media for that one <laughs> uh but yeah so he's, his wealth of works are unbelievable but also as well what i also felt was a couple of the tracks also as well have indiana jones tones to them when you actually sit really listen to it and if you try and darken the room and turn the music up a bit and try and sit there with your eyes closed and, and, and try and immerse yourself into it. I found that there, there were some traits of Indiana Jones in there as well, which I think could come from working on the, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yeah, because I think obviously Joel McNeely and uh, Robert Townsend, the producer who selected Joel McNeely to compose it, obviously they they both worked on that for Lucasfilm, hadn't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and obviously great to see them using, I think it was recorded in in Glasgow with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. Oh, you know what? It's, yep. They bring something. I mean, I put this in my review. Um, they, they bring something to the Star Wars theme that adds something to the original from um, the original films and seems to be very much lacking in the prequels when they did the main theme. There's There's just an extra level of detail that's just wonderful to hear. And I'm kind of like, why on earth weren't these... I mean, obviously, I know it would be a different team, but why weren't these guys doing the sequel trilogy? And the thing is, as well, what you got to remember is that was recorded in two days. And yeah. put to bed. You know what I mean? And, and to record an 11 or 10-track album. Yeah, OK, some of the music is well-known, but to, to actually put that down, I th- I think they did an absolutely amazing job. Definitely, especially some of the tracks are... You know, seven minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes long. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, some of these are are, are, are big pieces of music. Um, Definitely. I did see it in HMV last week when I was uh, having a browse through. So anybody wanting to buy the soundtrack, get yourself the HMV to the CD section. Well, they've improved it in the last twenty five years. Then <laughs> <laughs> twenty five years later. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's not in my local HMV, but yeah. It is readily available now. Uh, eBay is a source for it, but like anything, the, you hear that like anniversaries come along and things like that, and, and stock seems to go up. And one of you's mentioned before about this new on vinyl. Is that correct? 
Uh, unfortunately, no. I, I had uh, some some of the vinyl notes sent to me. Right. So on the vinyl slipcover, uh, for those who who still have vinyl, unfortunately, I've got no way of playing it now. Uh, but th- there were some extra notes put out for the anniversary edition. I can is it Sabrassi Verande who were the 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 uh, label that put it out, and they put out a, a special gatefold type cover with a load of notes in there from John McNeely. And yeah, some very very nice writing in there. And obviously, if you if you haven't read the book, it actually marries the action with the music, so you actually can can understand the music without actually having read the book. So that that's quite a nice angle on it as well. Yeah, I will be looking for the vinyl because I imagine it sounds wonderful on vinyl. Mm, very much so. I take it hasn't been reproduced, or so you're looking for like the originals essentially. Uh, no, it'd be the, if I went for it, I'd I'd be going for the the new version because apparently it's it's the weight of the the vinyl as well. Because obviously the older ones would have been in a different weight of vinyl. Yeah, uh, there's some, te- there's some technical. Yeah, there's some technicalities to vinyl now that I never knew existed when I used to when I used to go and get my the the, uh, the twelve inch long players and play them on thirty three and a third when I got home. <laughs> in the liner notes that you mentioned there, it, with the new version is there a, a ben burt obviously legendary sound designer for star wars um is there a poem he wrote about an ancient battle of coruscant there's it's always said and i think it's quite quite correct that ben burt wrote some of the lyrics or some of the words sung by the choral uh the choral or the chorus whichever whichever you want to put it uh on on the actual tracks so some of the some of what they're they're chanting, what whatever you're singing, whatever you want to say, uh, that's actually written by Ben Burt apparently. I think that sums up the uh, the, the album there. Um, before we sort of do just a recap of of Shadows of the Empire, um, one of my favorite things about Star Wars is collecting merchandise and in particular toys and action figures. Um, and obviously there was a. Uh, a toy line made for Shadows of the Empire. Um, when did you guys sort of? Was there any particularly favourite characters you saw on shelves? Um, were these readily available, or were they sort of hard to get at the time? Oh, they were everywhere. Yeah, it felt like they were everywhere. And even going into um, the two thousands, um, they the at least the purple figures, uh, backed figures, the three and uh, three quarters, always seemed to be at the entertainer um years later um but for me it was the it was the micro machines that really stood out they seemed to be the more difficult ones to get hold of um and i absolutely loved them that they were they were fantastic it was it was great seeing kind of new star wars of things that you just didn't know and having these these models of them um and being able to look at you know the detail for something that obviously we've never really seen this is just you know coming from the novel from the you know the game and everything to have them there in your hand just it felt extra special power of the force 2 was released in in 1995 or the the re-advent of 3.75 or three and three quarter inch toys would, would come back out so obviously this was they were just revisits or remolds uh, or something just recast of basically new versions of of old figures so we got luke tatooine we got ben kenobi we got darth vader we got all the staples 
But this time, this was the first time that we'd actually stepped outside of that box sort of thing. And then we got Princess Leia in Boost Disguise, which was, yeah, a known figure and quite famous still and still, still loved uh, for the, its original uh, release from the 80s. But then you got Chewbacca in a disguise. You got Luke Skywalker in a disguise. And the thing is, one of the most sought-after toys from the original Power of the Force lines was Luke Skywalker as a Stormtrooper. This time we got him in the, as an Imperial Guard in this lovely red uniform with a, a Force staff and all these sort of things. Then you got Dash Rendar, completely new character. Prince Chisor, new character. Then you got the Comic 2 packs, which are all new and there was so much going on. And then you got Boba Fett Slave 1, which was like iconic yes it's back with the hanning carbonite but then you got dash rendar's outrider as well and the swoop bike so it was just so much coming out it, it, you know there's only about 10 items in that list but all of it was fresh it was new yeah and we hadn't had that before so it's like now we're getting these retro figures and where we've got like you know so we've now got tarkin uh we've now got the mandalorian ones so we're actually getting figures that we may not have ever seen before and that's how it was then. We were getting classic figures, a bit muscle-bound, to say the mm. least. But we were getting new figures, and it was something different. And that was that was a massive game-changer to the collectors. Yeah, I think even... I've never owned the Luke Skywalker in Imperial God of Skies, but like, I, I search for it all the time on eBay, and sometimes I go to buy it, sometimes I don't. Um Mainly because I'm worried in case it's a bootleg or not, because I'm not the best sort of spotting that type of thing. Um, but yeah, that that looks. I can give you advice on the on. I can give you advice on the bootlegs on that one, so you don't worry about that too much. <laughs> shout me, shout me on that one. Uh, well, I will love that, but uh, my fiance will not. <laughs> but, yeah, well, I, I have got a full set of them, boxed mint tri logos. <laughs> Oh, still, still got them locked away, and the, and I even pulled the head off one of my Luke Skywalkers because I bought a spare, and I boil, what did the old boil and pop method, and I took the 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 head off a Lando Calrissian in disguise as uh, oh, his skiff disguise, so I actually popped the head out of that and put it in, so I'd actually got Lando dressed as an Imperial Guard as well because he disguises himself in in the the book in the same. So, uh, so I'd actually got the pair of them sat on my shelf, both stood next to each other in, the, in their disguises. Oh, that's fantastic! You'd have to uh, send us a picture of the of the display. Yeah, we'll do. I will do. I have got one. I have got one somewhere. If not, I'm gonna have to try and get it out of the loft because it, it, it's tucked away somewhere in the in the depths of the the boxes up there. How did obviously you know we come to 2012 and we have the acquisition of Lucasfilm by the Walt Disney Company? Um, and you know they pretty much say everything before this time point is going to become legends. Um, and everything going forward will be canon. Um, did that sort of did that announcement affect the way you look at Shadows of the Empire? Ooh, it yeah. did initially. I think it did because it was like, how can you scrap all these good stories and just put them into legends? And it bugged me because obviously the time invested and everything. Um, but as I've gone forward, maybe not being too happy with some of the decisions made by Disney, you know, in terms of publishing and whatnot. Um, and now I'm like, actually, no, it doesn't because that was the Star Wars that I grew up with. That will always be 
my sort of Star Wars. And there's like, yeah, you know, Kevin Scott said, you know, if it's a good book, it's a good book. And I'm, you know, I can, I can, I enjoy, you know, the new Star Wars. I mean, the the High Republic series has absolutely blown me away. Um, but for me, there's something so so special about those early books and you know Shadows that no one could take that away from me. The, the the 2015 decision did affect my relationship with Star Wars to start with because I was really I had in, I had invested at that point in time nearly well yeah over twenty years in books reading so you know so from buying the, that very first book in 1991 and I have up until that point I think I've got every single legend book in first edition print on my shelves in front of me at the moment. And, you know, that's, that's quite a, a lot of books. And if you've read probably 90% of them, like I have, uh, when you, when you see though, that time and effort that you've put into reading those, it hurt my relationship with Star Wars a bit. I will say that. Uh, but then a few things came about the comics started coming out and, and a few other things. And all of a sudden I, I, I started being trickled along and it pulled me back in. So while I still regret that there's some absolutely amazing stories there, yeah. uh, I still think that it's not a bad thing in some ways and it's not a great thing in others. Uh, jury's still out on some parts, but we, the legends have got to be looked at as, as books worthy of reading. And I think with the release coming next month of the uh, the Essential Legends collection, is it, or whichever it is, something like that, isn't it? Or Legends Essentials or something next month from Del Rey, where Heir of the Empire is, is one of those. We're going to see more of these Legends books brought back to the forefront, and I think there's there's too many on too many shelves that are, are being discarded now that are absolutely wonderful reads. There's some poor books in there. But <laughs> there are some there are some books that are just like mind-blowingly good. Yeah. And are worth anybody visiting at any time. Shadows being one of them, Heir to the Empire being another, and the whole Throne trilogy. You know, there's some absolute gems in there. There are some books that are like treacle, that mm. are hard to walk, walk through. But then yeah. you've got the New Jedi Order series, which is like 24 books and was a publishing sequence over four or five years, which is like, you know, on a very similar scale to the, uh, the High Republic. And it was different because we weren't seeing the empire fighting the rebels or the or the the new republic fighting an imperial remnant we got out of uh out of galaxy aliens coming in to try and take over the galaxy and we've got a more dynamic and probably adult way of of looking at it because it was more violent and what have you and it had actually grown with the fans so it had matured with us and we were then getting more I don't say adult com content, but a bit more grown-up content than what Star Wars is actually meant to be, because Star Wars is still, and primarily is meant to be for kids, but we got this more adult spin on, 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 the, on the galaxy. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think with the, with the announcement that things from like pre-2012 weren't canon, doesn't mean that they can't come back into canon, so I think obviously you know Shadows of the Empire storyline shows us how Leia obtains the armor of Boosh, the bounty hunter, um, who's associated with Black Sun. Um, 
and then that storyline is to get through Imperial Customs on Coruscant, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Um, I think in the Forces of Destiny episode, uh, Bounty Hundred, um, Leia and Maz Kanata, um take Bush's armor directly from him himself on Old Man Tell, is that correct? I think so, yeah. So to be fair, I'm not fully up to speed with those. So that's one I, one I haven't caught up with. But I will tell you, that it's probably going to change again because War of the Bounty Hunters is a, there's a one-shot, uh, which is uh, about Bush. So there's every chance that that one-shot will change that story yet again. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, you, you say about with obviously Shadows being made... Um, legends, you know, we're kind of getting used to the fact, you know, you look at Clone Wars when it um, non um, decanonized the Karen Travis books, which I thought were absolutely excellent, but now we've got it again coming with the Bad Batch and you know, Kanan's backstory. I think, you know, as fans, I think it was we're kind of getting used to the fact now that Canon's even now where it's supposed to be linear is going a little all over the place and to just enjoy what we enjoy. Yeah, I think so. When they first announced the new canon, like I re bought into it and loved how everything was tying in. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, we're now like you know, six years later. Um, I think it's almost an impossible task to have yeah. so many different storylines and mediums tie in together. So, I, after watching the Bar Batch episode, where you know, I, I love the Canon comics, um, volume one and yeah. volume two, obviously, it's slightly different in that story. So, I'll just put it down to like the unreliable narrator, like, you know, like each story you read is from a certain point of view, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. On the pun. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite bands, uh, Extreme, they, they have an album entitled Three Sides. Uh, it's three sides to every story. And basically it was called Yours, Mine and the Truth. So that's where, where you can look at from that angle. Yeah, Definitely. And obviously, we did see. Um, am I right in thinking that um, Prince Isor is uh, a falling? Is that right? Yes, falling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we have the falling black sun, obviously made canon in, in the Clone Wars. Um, yeah. And obviously, part of Darth Maul's Shadow Collective. Um, yeah. In that story, and we do see a modified Outrider in Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, and we do actually see the Outrider in the special edition as well. Yeah. Where do we uh, see it in the special edition? So it takes off from from Mos Eisley uh, at the end of the celebrations. At the end, is it as Luke and Ben are coming into yeah. Mos Eisley in the New Hope? Yeah. Yeah, it takes off. It takes off from one of the one of the the landing the, the docking bays. So as the, you got the cinematic scene that was added. Where you see the land speeder going down the street, you actually see it take out, take off from right to left and go across the screen and fly off, and that's actually meant to be the outrider. I'll have to keep an eye out for that next time I watch it. <laughs> um, apparently, as well, there was a tie-in book for Solo Star Wars story, Tales from Bandor, um, and apparently, uh, Dash Rendar is mentioned in that book. Oh yes, he would be. Yes, yes, he was. <laughs> Not in fact, it's one that, that I haven't read. No, that's the one I reviewed, I think, Steve. Yeah, he's... Yeah, and it's it's nice because it's... it's Obviously, how how important is he to... Can, you know, modern canon, canon, who knows, but having those little name drops is... 
it, it's nice little touches for us old fans who remember. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it harkens back, like, you know, these sort of new stories, but and if you're reading it from a first time, you know, you'll just love the story. But then if you're reading it and you've, you know, invested time and money in the past and they're sprinkling a little bit of that in it, it almost makes it worth it, I find, when you find those hidden gems. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, completely agree with that. As I say, it's just nice to actually have those little nods. And I think that's one thing where Dave Filoni and John Favreau have done so well with The Mandalorian. We have those little nods to to all those those games and and all those different bits through the the canon that, that no longer is and is now legends. Uh, it's just like little things and you just see it on screen. You go, yep. And you see those little nods, and that does make it a lot easier to to stomach in a way, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. So to tie us up, sort of what's what's some of your favorite things and favorite memories, sort of of Shadows of the Empire? Um, oh, well, for me, obviously, it's that game level. Um, and obviously having, you know, it wasn't laptops in everybody's room. You know, we had a family computer that was at the bottom of our stairs. And it was, you know, me, my brother, who would have been seven at the time, and my dad all crowding around this, you know, tiny I mean, for us, it was big, but, you know, now I look back, think, goodness me, tiny computer screen. And, you know, my dad's in control and you can just hear muttering from his, you know, his mouth, one more pass, one more pass, as if, you know, you know, he is Wedge Antilles. And where part of me thinks computer gaming now is very solitary with people um, over, you know, the internet um back then it was it really brought us together and all of us marveling at being able to do this you know this amazing thing that we've been we you know we've watched time and time again in the films and been able to share that kind of joy and excitement um around this small computer screen yeah i think i think mine's playing the game as well uh i was i was 24 coming 25 at the time my brother-in-law's 10 years 10 years my junior so, you know, so he's 14, 15, and obviously we got the, the house, and basically he used to come over two or three nights a week and, and spend time with us, which was which was fantastic. Um, me and my brother-in-law become quite close, Mark. Uh, and we used to play Life or Level on Shadows until we completed it, and then we did the same with Goldeneye. So it was having that gaming experience with my brother-in-law, uh, and again, sharing that excitement he read the book i'd read the book uh i'm i'm the one to be blamed because he's a fan of star wars now uh but it was just those things and it, it, those are my lasting memories of, of that of that of camped in front of an n64 in front of a 21 inch tv you know and just slaving away over those levels but enjoying every single second of the frustration i, th- I think that will go that's difficult to replicate now yeah, and it's difficult as well because, you know, if you want to replay the game, you, you're going to have to go and find an N64 that works and a telly that works um, and the controllers that works. It's sort of all analogue technology now, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've, got, I've got an angle on that. I've got, I've, I've got one that's sort of like at a good price. The only thing is I need is a copy of, of Shadows of the Empire. 
<laughs> that's how close I'm going. Mark knows that. <laughs> yeah, oh, we're both close, aren't we? I mean, cause when you mentioned, you know, kind of like the frustration, I was just thinking, you know what? The thing I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to replicate now because I'd need a very old TV. Is I remember the sewer level, and you know, back then TV TVs were not great, um, particularly for darker levels because even with like your curtains closed and everything, the light would just bounce off. And I remember that level driving me up the wall because of the light reflecting off the TV and not actually being able to see anything. Turn up the contrast and the brightness to max just so you can see a, see a crack of something on the screen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where, you know, I imagine you wouldn't have that problem though with uh, TVs today, but all oh, the frustration yeah. of that one level of thinking, for goodness sake. You know, and I, I like things looking dark, but it was just like, for goodness sake, can someone put a light you know, on in-game so I can see what's going on? Yeah, so that 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 was one of the frustrations. The one thing as well that I found that was was really good for me to to get my head around everything that went uh, went on with Shadows of the Empire and its developments is, is the book by Mark Cotter Vaz. Again, can be picked up dirt cheap on eBay, but there's, there are some expensive copies out there because there's some rarities. Is the Secrets of Shadows of the Empire from Box Tree? Uh, if anybody's listening who really wants to go into the depths of what the Hildebrands were doing and what John Knowles was doing and how Perry and Wagner all come involved and what have you and all the background of, of Shizor and all these things, that's well worth spending a few quid on. Uh, I had never read it properly until I was actually doing my research to do all this work with, with Jedi News. And I tell you what, I wish I'd have picked it up a long time ago sooner because it's an absolutely stunning book. Yeah. And I mean, obviously my other, you know, of I've mentioned about, you know, the first time I went to a comic book store was, you know, coming out with Shadows with my dad, which was huge. But, you know, only two years ago, I actually picked, because they actually did um, a young reader's book, Shadows of the Empire, by um, Christopher Golden. Um, and it was the first Star Wars book I'd given to my son, Charlie, um, when we went on holiday. And he read that thing quicker than anything. And I think it kind of shows the impact Shadows had, that that was the first one I wanted to give to him. Uh, to read and he came out going this is really really cool and I thought for you know someone who at the time was 12 um, and even he was enjoying it you know all these years later I think there's a lot about the about the story definitely um, so last question from me is obviously I've not really experienced the story what direction do you point me in should I pick up a copy of the novel or should I try and read a comic book first or what what should I do? For um, me, novel. Yeah. For me, uh, the, for novel. me, the novel is a starting place. That is the formative point for for everything that came afterwards. The game came later, slightly. The the comic came slightly slightly later, and the Hildebrands did their work from the novel. So for me, that that's the starting point. Yeah. And I'd agree, because although I came to it from the game first, I think the the, the novel gives such an overarching uh, perspective on everything. The the blanks of the comic, you know, if you can get the game, fantastic. Um, but the gaps that they fill in, um, they are, you know, they're the gaps left by the novel for them rather than anything else. Well, thank you very much for that. I think I'll try and pick that up. Is um, is Shadows of the Empire one of these books getting the, the really nice republishing this year at the moment no right i might just but pick... never say never i might just that, pick and, that's not, up and that's not because 
That's not because I know something. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounded like it did, Steve. No, no, no. I wish I did. I wish I had got those contacts. I've got good contacts, but they ain't that good. Uh, yeah, I would hope, I would love to see it re-released with a new cover and all that sort of thing. I've got to buy that Air of the Empire and put it alongside my my original 1991 first edition. But I would also love to do the same with Shadows. Uh, so, not officially, I've not heard anything. If if we do hear anything, believe me, Jedi News will be running it as a story. Yeah, unrelated. I've got a I've got a Tim's on story. So at Celebration Orlando, um, I was at the Hasbro booth, um, and sort of I think the first day of Celebration, they had a, like a glass case that was empty, and it was like being unveiled soon. Mm. And then like the next day, I was there and like had the throne figure in, which was the. Comic Con exclusive that year. I came with all the the cool extras, the Black Series. Yep. Um, and obviously, it hadn't been in there the day before. But it was in there the next day. So I was walking past, spotted it, and I was like staring at it, like thinking, "How awesome was that?" And obviously, but kept walking, and like I bumped into someone there, knocked someone over. So I turned around, apologized, and it, it was Timothy Zahn it, it arrived oh, wow. to look at his figure. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh," so I was like. Apologized, I realized who it was, and I was like, Oh, all right, I was just like the figure captivated is, and it wasn't watching where I was going. And I was like, All right, that's, that, that's your figure type of thing. And you can tell he he was like, You know, he, he wasn't angry that I'd uh, bumped into him, but you, you could tell you could see that I was a bit starstruck at that point, and he was almost like, yeah, almost on the laugh at us a bit, which I thought was really cool. That, that's an awesome story. Yeah, so uh, we, we were lucky enough to myself and James to interview him last year for Jedi News. Uh, the, the full interviews on, on YouTube, so you can watch it there. It was released on the podcast. And for me, that was... Timothy Zahn is the reason why I fell back in love with, with Star Wars back in 91, that book. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing what I do now. I find what I do is I'm very privileged in, in what the, do I do for Jedi News uh, gives me back. Uh, and I feel very privileged to be able to do that. Uh, so, yeah. So, I owe Tim Zahn a lot. Uh, my wife doesn't like him so much because obviously he's he, he's cost me a lot of money. Uh, we be, could be quite rich <laughs> if I hadn't got all these books and and collectibles and what have you. But yeah, uh, Tim Zahn uh, has got a lot to answer for with a lot of us. Yeah, definitely. I think I think one last memory is that um, at Celebration Chicago. Um, so my, my cousin Alan is who got me into Star Wars. Um, so like he showed me it on VHS when I was about four or five. Um, VHS or, 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 or Betamax or, or whatever it would have been. So I'm like a, a tweener. So I'm like in between the original trilogy and prequel trilogy. I'm getting into, I'm getting into Star Wars in about 1994, 1993 maybe. Right. Um, Very similar to me, yeah. And then, um, so obviously my cousin's older than me. He's he I think he was born the same year Star Wars came out. So I think he experienced Turn of the Jedi like in theaters as a fan. Um, and obviously went through the dark times and then hit the empire comes out and then he's hooked again. Um, so we were at, uh, uh, we were at the, um, so Daniel Berry over at the force cast, um, who are very lucky to call a, a friend. Um, we were visiting him at the force cast booth, uh, and, and Tim was on was giving the interview with, uh, with Ryan Donahoe at the time. Uh, and me and Alan was sitting like in the booth talking to, um, to Daniel, and obviously, sort of, Alan's like, my cousin's like losing his mind. He's quite a shy guy, 
And I was like, once his interview's finished, like, ask him, like, go and speak to him, ask him for a photo, I'll take the snap. I was like, I won't ask for one because I've met him before in Orlando. And it means that you'll get your picture, then you can shoot off before, like, crowds of people come down here. Uh, and I was like, do you think so? I went, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. And like, like I said, we'll manage to, Alan managed to meet these sort of hero and, and get, get a nice picture with them, have a nice moment and thank them. So like that, that was another moment. It was like great to see my cousin who really appreciates Tim Zahn, like probably, probably the same as you guys do. Um, yeah. Like, have that moment with him was, um, was, was beautiful. Yeah. To say thank you to his face over a, a live video feed, not in person was the only disappointing part about it. Uh, but hey, that that can happen yet. There's there's still plenty of celebrations left in me yet. Uh, just I've never been I've never been able to get to one uh, stateside yet. Uh, but I'm hoping that's going to change uh, next year. But uh, we'll see it. We'll see how the land lies for that one. Definitely. Yeah, I was lucky enough to meet uh, Timothy's on at Celebration Six because um, I was over in Orlando on holiday and literally was my last day of the holiday was the first day of celebration. And I remember going to the panel with Timothy Zahn and they were very adamant that he wasn't going to be doing any signings until the next day. And as soon as the panel was over, I rushed to the front and said, I'm really sorry, Tim, but I'm from England and I'm only here for today. Could you sign my heir to the Empire book, which I'd brought all the way with me from, from over here, just in case. And he was so gracious and said, absolutely, of course. And then before I knew it, I was absolutely sworn by loads of fans. But I got my signature and got to say thank you to him, which was just wonderful. Definitely. That's, that's a fantastic, fantastic memory. Um, thank you very much, guys, for coming on and joining me and sort of giving me all the information, all the education on Shadows of the Empire. It's been a, been a privilege to listen to it. And uh, I'm really excited to pick up the novel now and give it a read. Great. Good glad you it's been wonderful talking about it in such depth. Yeah, so it's it's very different to be actually on the other end of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> and well, yeah, so thank you for inviting us. I say it's, it's a privilege to do it for you, and hopefully we can return the compliment one time and get you on there, take cover or something like that over at Jedi News. Hundred percent. Just let me know. Let me know what I need to know, and I'll come on and have you talk Star Wars with anyone really. So yeah, it'll be a privilege. Awesome, mate. Awesome. And I'd love to know what you think of Shadows when you do read it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And I will definitely be hitting you up about uh, where to buy the non-bootleg things from. Yeah, no worries, mate. Well, the thing is, you, know, you never know. I might have some for sale. <laughs> do, your, do your mates' rates. <laughs> Fantastic. That's my, my kind of deal. But, but, not, <laughs> but nine, not 1996 rates. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Just for anyone listening, um, if you go to jedinews.com and just search Shadows of the Empire, uh, you can find all the awesome articles that the team over there have been producing to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Shadows of the Empire. Um, so there's like separate articles on the soundtrack, on the game, uh, on the book, on the comics. Um, so, so, so definitely go check that out and you can get even more information than what we've talked about here. Um, gents, where can the people find you on social media? Right. Uh, the way to get a hold of me is I'm Jedi Master Obi Wan, and that's uh, the three letters, last three letters or numericals are an O B and a one, uh, after the alleged uh, ancient call sign of or the name of Obi Wan being a clone. And I'm on Twitter at um, at Spooked Hippie, which is 
S-P-O-O-K-E-D-H-I-P-P-I-E. Fantastic. So, listeners, make sure you follow the guys on social media. Make sure you get over to JediNews.com. Search Shadows of the Empire. And like I said, all those brilliant 25th anniversary articles will come up. Um, it's also awesome for keeping up with the Star Wars news. Um, again, gents, pleasure having you on. Um, stay safe out there. Obviously, I know you guys no worries, are mate. vaccinated now, so that's, that's good. Yep. Yes, thanks to you. Yep, so yeah, double bubble on the on the vaccine, so yeah, all good to go. So I've had my yeah. first one today, so I'm feeling pretty good actually to be fair, and I just can't wait to get my second one and then it makes all the conventions coming up at the back end of the year uh a lot more doable, which will be fun. Yeah, Jason's mentioned because uh, I, I know you speak to my cousin Jason who who does uh, a lot for Jedi News as well. Uh yeah, we'll we'll talk Telford. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, guys. May the force be with you. Listeners, may the force be with you. And remember, always tell that to Kanja Club. Please follow us on Twitter at Boar's Star. That's at B-O-R-E-S-S-T-A-R. And on Instagram and Facebook at Star Wars Podcast. You can also reach us on email at starboardspodcast at gmail.com. Starboard Show can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and wherever podcasts can be found. Please give us a like, subscribe, and don't forget to leave a five-star review. May the force be with you.